Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. The Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Bringing you the latest from the world of daily fantasy sports and gambling. So you can stop Googling how to join a squid game to cover all those parlays you thought were such a sure thing. Now, sit back and listen to one of the sharpest minds in the game. Here's your host, Dwayne Callender. Welcome again, folks, to the show. Got an episode here for all the Premier League fans, especially on the fantasy side. That's right. We are going to be talking about fantasy Premier League with the Premier League starting up on Friday and my thoughts on how to play fantasy Premier League. Now, for those of you who don't know, fantasy Premier League has been around for over 20 years now. Uh crazy that this much time has gone by but you know every year the strategy gets even more intricate and detailed so i'm just going to kind of do the layman's terms but fantasy premier league is part of the premier league it's the official fantasy game it's a big deal over in england uh you got multiple companies like sponsoring major tournaments based off of how finishing position uh, just to put it into perspective, guys, and, and just so you guys understand, because I know some of the football fans will wonder why, like for NFL, wonder like why should we care about Premier League? In terms of total teams and players, this is the largest uh, tournament you're ever going to play in fantasy wise. I don't care like who you are playing from NFL fantasy football, the fantasy Premier League has over 7.5 million players per year. It keeps growing. It's probably going to pass 8 million, to be perfectly honest with you, at some point this year. But that many players. And it's bragging rights, because the guys who get into top 100, obviously everyone wants to finish number one, but like there are podcasts about like There are guys who devote their entire year Covering fantasy premierly. Because you go from August straight through until May with roster changes. Yes, it it is daunting. It is a grueling marathon. I can only give you so much advice. Even I have capacity for keeping up on top of all the little changes you can make for uh, Premier League fantasy-wise. Because there are various strategies and tools I can give you basics, but there are far more in-depth conversations we had. But just for playground's sake, just kind of put it in the sandbox, here's how it works. You have a budget of 100 million pounds. Well, basically, they designate it as 100 pounds, but you get, you get my drift. They designate it as 100 pounds. With that 100 pounds, 
You are to allocate amongst 15 roster positions your entire fantasy team. Out of the 20 Premier League teams, you got to roster 15 players. You can only roster three, a max of three players per team. Now, you may think that's pretty simple. The thing of it is, you're going to run into min pricing across the board at certain positions. So, at defense, goaltender, goalkeeper, you know, those are uh, some of the cheapest positions. Yeah, you'll have some cheap forwards as well. But four and a half is usually the cheapest price you're going to get for a player starting out. Now, the long and short of it is that what makes the Fantasy Premier League such an interesting dynamic is, much like a stock market, players' prices rise and fall based off of their performances throughout the year. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to build out a, obviously, a successful roster, maximize your points, but also, guys' ownership, as more people buy that player or trade for that player, your accumulation of that player's value also increases over time. Or decreases if they suck. That's where it, it gets interesting. Because depending on whether it's a favorable schedule, more often than not, player performance, or if somebody gets injured... Do you keep that player on your roster? Or because of people getting off that player, does it make more sense to sell him rather than hold on to him and take the ding in player value as his value drops? So realistically, over the course of the year, you're trying to grow that 100 pounds into 110, 120 even. But you're overall value team value can increase or decrease depending on how successfully you're able to manage and essentially manage your capital. Uh, because yes, the players are, are your t- uh, tools for actually scoring points, but you also have to kind of look at it as, you know, seeing where the trends are, who's being productive, who's getting transferred in. And those are the intricacies of the game that make it so useful to kind of track if you want to do a deep dive into how to build out your roster. For my purposes, I'm just going to go over the basics of players that I think make a ton of sense, build out a solid enough roster so you have balance across the board, you have your utility budget value, and you have your studs that can make a difference in terms of your overall score throughout the year. And your team value overall should increase based off of some of the sample constructions and names I'm going to throw out there. But at least you kind of get the drift as to what makes this different than most sports where you only own one guy in the league. You're competing against millions of players to see how best you can manage your finances. This works for some people. Some people don't like this format. I happen to like it because it involves a ton of strategy beyond just having a good good draft. You're constantly monitoring player performance to see, does this player's value merit him staying on the roster long-term 
based off of how the rest of the market's performing? Does it make sense to upgrade at certain spots? Like, these are all factors that you have to start factor uh, contemplating as you build out your roster throughout the year. Like, that's what makes this uh, a unique experience that's very different than many, many other formats in terms of fantasy sports. I, I think it's one of the more unique aspects of fantasy sports, and you get to do it in a sport where you get a ton of variants in soccer. There is variance because of there's only so many goal scorers and guys going to be touching the ball in the course of the year. And so you're looking for guys who are shooters, guys who are uh, taking set pieces, so like penalty kicks, free kicks. You're trying to find uh, find the edge in the marketplace because you, know, you are primarily being uh, rewarded points off of goal scored, assists, Clean sheets for goalkeepers and defenders. One point for a midfielder for, for a clean sheet. Not nearly as much as a defender who gets three points or five points for a goalkeeper. The, the goal scoring does vary between uh, defender, midfielder, and striker. Strikers obviously get fewer points for scoring goals just because they're expected to score goals. You're not necessarily expecting a defender to score a goal. But guess what? Set pieces matter. That's why you also you also got to look at who are the defenders that are also uh, likely to get goals off of headers, guys who are taking set pieces. All that matters. So, again, lots of things to contemplate. But as I said, I'm not going to go through every single detail, but I can give you a general idea of like how to keep in mind of building out your roster at certain price points and kind of going from there. So to begin with, let's start off with goalkeeper from a budget standpoint, you know, four and a half is pretty much the cut rate price for a goalkeeper that you can actually uh, bear in mind. So in terms of goalkeepers and their four and a half, that means their team is probably mid table and below in terms of uh, uh, of a placement, because you're not going to place a goalkeeper that's going to be on a successful team that's in the hunt for a top half finish or even top six finish at that price. Maybe the team overperforms, but at four and a half, you're usually expecting the team to kind of be struggling. Now, a couple of guys to bear in mind. Uh, you've got Brentford's uh, goalkeeper, David Raya, who basically made a ton of saves last year. Right? Like he was one of the best point per match goalkeepers last year. Cause he averaged about four points per game. Despite the fact that Brentford was pretty much a middle of the pack bottom half team because he kept making saves because Brentford gave up a ton of opportunities. Again, they were pretty much mid-table all year long. They'll probably be in a relegation battle this year. Uh, just because, you know, they didn't do a whole lot to improve the roster. I look at this as an opportunity where you're going to be seeing a keeper like this. I'll, I'll come up with another budget keeper thereafter who might be in a similar boat this year, even though he was on a slightly better team last year. 
saves matter. So if you keep making saves as a goalkeeper, even if you're a budget keeper, sometimes, yes, conceding goals, yeah, it's going to be negative points. But if you keep making saves, sometimes it's better to have a goalkeeper who's actively making saves than a goalkeeper who's winning matches but not necessarily making a ton of saves. Yeah, you, you can get clean sheets, but not making saves, usually you want a more active keeper long-term. So, Riot definitely uh, at four and a half makes sense from a budget standpoint. Robert Sanchez, the Brighton keeper, uh, Brighton Hoven Albion keeper, also four and a half. Basically, he was, uh, you know, I, I I look at this where his points per match average was three and a half, but here's the thing. Brighton doesn't score a ton. They play decent defense, but the shot attempts at Sanchez are expected to be there. I don't think Brighton are going to be nearly as stout defensively this year as they were last year, unless Sanchez makes a ton of saves. So I think he's going to be put a little bit more under pressure this year. Now that could backfire in ways where, you know, yeah, if he's giving up a bunch of goals, that makes a ton of problems. But I think it's worthwhile to kind of bear in mind that, you know, with uh, these keepers, as long as they're staying active and making saves... The save points almost in a way balances out the goals that they're going to concede because, you know, yeah, they may not get clean sheets, but if you keep making saves, those points do add up over time. So just food for thought. Now, another strategy folks are going to do that I don't recommend for folks that are not going to be actively managing rosters. Some folks like playing the backup keeper to their starter keeper. So they'll play the starter as well as the backup who likely be, well, you wouldn't do the strategy unless the backup keeper was completely mid price. So the mid price would be four pounds. The reason why I hate this strategy for newcomers and aren't really going to be paying close attention is that, yeah, you save some money by playing the backup, uh, Selecting the backup in addition to the first uh, first tier keeper. The problem is with the strategy is that, you know, basically you're relying on this team playing well throughout the year and keeping active. There are going to be some games where these teams get absolutely pounded with goals. And you don't want to do it with an expensive keeper either because, again, I already told you guys. It's a max of three players per team. You don't want to use a good keeper and their backup. It ties up two roster spots. So the only reason why you're going to use the keeper and their backup is if it's a crappy team. But if you use that approach, there are going to be some games where that team gets blitzed and you're going to be fielding a very negative score from a keeper because they got hammered by a team by four or five goals. It happens in the Premier League. So you want to have some balance for those matchups weeks where you know your team's going to suck and try to do roster transfers because, again, once you set your roster to start the year, you don't have that much flexibility of doing uh, transfers over time. 
like usually you're limited to only one transfer per week before you get penalized with points. And transferring keeper as your main move isn't really the best use of your resources because trust me, you're going to want to have those transfers for when injuries pick up or when you see a favorable matchup. So from a budget standpoint, I like to stay in that four and a half range at the minimum. I don't like the backup keeper strategy for newbies. For other folks, I get it. There's a, there's a whole theory behind it, but for the purposes of starting out, uh, for more novice players, doesn't make sense. Really doesn't make sense. All right, so we talked about the budget keepers. Let's talk about the mid-price keepers. So in the mid-range, one guy that I, I want to say off the bat that people keep talking about, and I don't know why, is Casper Schmeichel, uh, the longtime goalkeeper for Leicester City. Leicester is not going to be good this year. I'm just going to be point blank about that. Leicester is go- going through whatever you want to call it, a rebuild year, tear down. Leicester is going to be overhauling that squad. And Schmeichel might be one of those guys on the move. And, you know, given his age being in his mid-30s, he may not want to be in the Premier League. Like, the, the reports I'm hearing is that he's going uh, he's going into the French League. So, like, it, he might be going into League One for Nice. That was, that was, like, the rumor that at least I was reading. But I keep reading preseason reports about playing Schmeichel in Fantasy Premier League, and I don't understand it because, as I said, even if he stays, I don't think Leicester's going to be any good. And if you're paying five, uh, five pounds, like, uh, five, like, like I said, five million pounds, like, no. No, this is a terrible idea. So that's that's really weird, long and short of it. I, I don't think there's any reason why you would play someone like that. I, you know, just being perfectly honest. Now, Nick Pope, on the other hand, here's the deal. He's going over to, uh, he got relegated, uh, he got relegated with Burnley last year. So Burnley is out of the Premier League, folks. It was long overdue. <laughs> like, they were an old roster. They never replaced anybody. They couldn't score. They got relegated. Pope, decent keeper. Should see a lot of action with Newcastle. They are not great defensively. But, to the point, he should get wins. Because Newcastle does have... Offense, he should be making saves because they are going to give up chances and he's good enough to make saves. You know, that's where you kind of have to look at things and gauge how you want to uh, how you want to make uh, things uh, work, you know, overall in terms of your roster construction. Because, you know, in that mid-range you can kind of get yourself lost. Like Hugo Lloris is five, five. Now you're getting in that premium range, but I like Lloris. I, I like Tottenham very much, even though I can't stand him. But from a fantasy perspective, I'm always intrigued by Tottenham because you got Kane and son. 
who are going to score goals. And Lloris, now, while Tottenham has not been good defensively in recent years, Lloris has been solid enough making saves that you can get some value out of Lloris with a guy who's going to get wins and saves at a higher clip at some uh, than some of these other keepers. Now, the crazy part is that with Antonio Conte, uh, you did get to see where Tottenham improved defensively. And I think with Conte, you're going to see Tottenham play their best. Then I, I think you've seen since Poach left. So to me, with uh, Lloris uh, having a clean sheet in 12 and 27 contests under Conte last year, that percentage is going to go up, in my opinion. Now, I just think that is it going to be as... And 12 out of 27 is pretty good, actually. So I'm not even trying to knock it. I just think Tottenham should be better this year. The question becomes, can Tottenham be as good defensively against good teams? And the top, like at the top of the table. Bottom teams, I don't really worry about Tottenham. And for fantasy purposes, that's why Lloris is a great option at 5-5. Because you're not paying Allison prices. You're not paying Mendy prices. Because those guys are... Oh, actually, I shouldn't say Mendy price. Uh, the, 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 Mendy was. Um, uh, I, I was. I was saying. Uh, I was saying. Uh, uh, Mendy. I meant Ederson. E- Ederson is uh, is at the uh, five and a half. But uh, you know, Allison and uh, Ederson at at their cost. It's a little bit hard to justify five five. And again, that may not seem like a lot. That half, that ha- that half pound makes a big difference in fantasy wise when you try to squeeze in players. So that's why I'm saying you want to be diligent in terms of how you manage uh, the funds. So the guy, the other guys that I would look at, um, you know, Luis, I-, I said it's a differential, uh. But Ramsdale and Mendy are five flat. The issue with Ramsdale is that with Arsenal's attack, uh, attacking options this year, it's actually harder to justify paying for Ramsdale and Mendy, for that matter, because the, the attacking pieces for Arsenal and uh, Chelsea are cheap enough that they're attractive enough that you may not want to spend money on a keeper at five, even though they should get clean sheets and wins. Arsenal is going to have their best back line in almost 20 years, which is a reflection of how sad that, like how sad that, uh, that back line has been treated over the years. But Arsenal should actually be, relatively solid barring injury throughout the year from fantasy perspective and real life. But from fantasy perspective, Arsenal's a pretty solid option. It's just that their attacking pieces, much like with Chelsea, you may want to consider 
not using a keeper there, but I'm not going to blame you for using a keeper if you catch my drift. It's just how you want to construct your roster because of the three uh, three max player limitation per team. You have to make some of those decisions as to what your trade-off going to be. So that's where I think you got to like be cognizant of everything that uh, entails of how you handle each individual position. Now, moving on to defenders, I'm just going to say this. You need to be playing a cheap punt defender that potentially is starting. Nico Williams for Nottingham Forest should be on your roster. He basically seems to be a wingback, which means he's going to be more in offensive uh, plays than a typical defender would be. You need to be playing Nico Williams at 4K, uh, at four, uh, four pounds. Uh, the reason why is that the cost savings. By being able to play Nico, you should be able to fit. Now, and this is where you can play, uh, you know, some of the more uh, premium defenders, but this is the point of playing a cheap guy. You can fit in Trent Alexander-Arnold for Liverpool at 7.5. You can also fit in Cancelo for Man City at 7. You can also fit in Reese James at 6. It makes it so much easier to fit those guys in. You can get two of them if you play Nico Williams. But the point is, it gives you the flexibility of having a starter at 4. And then being able to play those pre, uh, a couple of those premium guys, that way you have the most offensive-minded defenders that are going to be credited with assists and goals. And I forgot to mention Ben Chilwell is also six uh, for uh, Chelsea. But like Reese James, Chilwell, both six. You got uh, Andrew Robertson at seven. Trent Alexander-Arnold at 7.5 for Liverpool. I mentioned Cancelo, but Ruben Diaz, he's definitely in play at 6. Zinchenko uh, left Man City to go play for Arsenal. You can get him for 5. Issue with uh, Zinchenko is, again, because Arsenal has so many attacking pieces, you may not want to play Zinchenko, but Zinchenko is a great play at five. That's why I'm saying you can get creative with the plays. You can. Because with some of these offensive players, you're going to have options. And the uh, rumor is Man City is going to get... Uh, Cucurella from Brighton Hove Albion, who's five. You can get access to the city back line for five. That, that's what I'm saying. It, there are so many different ways of playing fantasy. It's like you're, you're tracking the news to kind of make sense of it all. But, you know, some guys aren't always going to start. But, like, you, what you want to try to maximize is guys starting – Guys with offensive opportunities. Guys who are going to be playing set plays. Because 
those guys are going to have more opportunities of driving in runs than guys who are just going to be defending. Because if they're just defending, it's almost impossible for them to score unless they get a, a lucky enough break off of a header. You know, it, it's it's just one of those things you just got to bear in mind. So, just got to... You got to think about it. Got to think about it. But from a defensive standpoint, I think it starts with Nico Williams. Like that, to me, that's the free square. You take him, and then you can start playing around with uh, your defenders. I want to get too crazy with uh, outside of names I mentioned because you have so many guys who can score. Oh, and I, I forgot one other dude. I, I, I should mention Matt Cash. Matty Cash uh, for um, uh, Aston Villa because basically you can get uh, Cash for I believe he's five. I'm just double checking. Yeah, he's five. Like five for Cat Matty Cash, uh, Lucas Dino also at uh, Aston Villa. He's also five. But Cash was the highest scoring defender. Uh. Outside of uh, top six defenders. And that's what I'm saying. With like the big six clubs, it's really hard to get the defenders scoring a ton of points. Just because the big six clubs are scoring the most goals, that that's where you're going to get most of your defenders scoring points is from assists. They're not going to be scoring that many goals. So you want the guys on set pieces, teeing it up for other guys uh, on place. But, you know... Uh, that's where I'm kind of landing in terms of the defenders. Let's get into uh, the midfield uh, plays because this is where, you know, we're going to have to, like, start culling your main strategies uh, to see how you want to play. Because, you know, the question is, do you or do you not play Mo Salah? Mo Salah has been the highest scoring player in fantasy premier league for about three years now you know it it is what it is it Salah for liverpool has gotten a new contract but he is 13 remember what i said those half points matter it's because you're trying to fit in these big boys mo salah is 13 to start the year 13 out of you got 100 in your budget. 13. That's over 10%. That's a big, big deal. If you take him at 13, I promise you, I promise you, you're going to have to punt in other positions where you're going to get guys who are not starting. It's going to be hard. 12 for uh, 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 Yung Min Sung at uh, Tottenham is... I think just as viable, mainly because he scores a ton of goals and he doesn't take penalties. Most Salah like requires him on the penalty duty. Liverpool's got a lot of mouths to feed. Darwin Nunez is on the scene. You have Jota. Yeah, you have Luis Diaz. Liverpool has options. Salah, you know, he can pout with Klopp all he wants, but, like, 
the reason why Liverpool didn't win the title last year wasn't because they weren't as good as City. It's because they were not as deep as City, and I thought it cost them the league. It cost them Champions League. It cost them a lot. It cost them a lot. They had a chance at the... They had the chance at a quadra. Not just a treble, a quadra. <laughs> and they had a brutal three-week stretch and lost both. It is what it is. But uh, now, the question is, do you want to play for Sun when Richarlison is 8.5? Luis Diaz is eight. He should be factoring in because of uh, Sadio Mane leaving Liverpool. Diaz should be the biggest beneficiary of that. And uh, Diego Jota is not too far behind either. But I, I, I can't stress this enough. It really comes down to how you want to play your roster because you're... You're going to have to make a decision on Salah. I personally am not starting up with Salah to begin the year. I think I can build enough value on my team and eventually make the transition to Salah as the season progresses and he starts shaking off the rust. Because of the World Cup being in the middle of the season, and that's the other big bugaboo about this year that I'll get into my season recap. I mean, my season preview, you know, it's just, it's just clear that I feel with some of these guys paying all the way up, I, I feel balance is probably the better way to go because with that disruption in the middle of the year, guys, are not necessarily going to be sharp. But I have better feelings about the guys in the middle and the upper tier for uh, the big clubs than I do with the guys lower down the uh, totem pole for teams. That's why I think the the, uh, top six are going to be really good in terms of uh, overall balance. Outside of Man United. United's got some other issues. But with that being said, I I just look at this from the standpoint of you can't be surprised if uh, guys like uh, De Bruyne at 12 puts up big numbers. Erling Holland at forward is going to make a pairing of Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Holland very popular. But guess what? If you pair those two together, it's going to cost you 23 and a half of 100. You have to punt because of some of these combos if you link them up. Me personally, I would say you should be looking more towards Arsenal. And that's not just like being a homer, that's just when you look at the balance you're going to have Gabriel Martinelli at six. You're going to have Saka at eight. They're going to be playing a ton of minutes. 
Arsenal is not nearly as deep as some of these other clubs. They're not as shallow last year. But they're not as rotation bound as some of these other clubs. And I, yes, I know Emil Smith Rowe and the Katia will probably factor in some time in the midfield. But realistically, Saka and Martinelli are going to be starting a ton of games. I don't see that necessarily being the case. I think Odegaard's going to be more of the guy uh, in danger of losing losing time uh, to some of those other players. So, and that's not even addressing the Tielemann situation. When uh, the likelihood of Yuri Tielemans ending up at Arsenal are is very high, uh, with Arsenal uh, potentially grabbing Yuri Tielemans from Leicester City, that puts even more strain on guys like Emil Smith Rowe and Odegaard to be staying in the mix. I think Martinelli and Saka are the two guys in the midfield you can feel good about from a fancy perspective, playing consistently for Arsenal. And because of their price tag, the the money works. Now, if you want to take a risk, because people are going to play them, Marcus Rashford and Jadon Sancho for Manchester United are 6-5 and 7-5, respectively. I think they are terrible plays. I don't like Man United. I think there's a lot of disconnection there. And Eric Ten Hag... It's going to take him a year to get that situation sorted out, in my opinion. I think people are being way too optimistic about United. Yes, Christian Eriksen is creative. He can um, he can create still, even with the pacemaker in his, in his chest, uh, from, uh, you know, uh, the health scare he had uh, not too long ago. I mean... Although, technically, it is long ago because of this was uh, this was even pre-pandemic, yet, basically. But it, it, from my perspective, I think United's got a lot of things to sort out. I think it's too presumptuous to be playing Man United fancy pieces. I, I, I just don't agree with it. Maybe that burns me, but from my perspective... I think it's way too aggressive. I would rather play James Ward-Prowse on Southampton, who's going to handle all the set pieces for Southampton before I would even consider playing Man United players in the midfield. Just just the thought process. Even Coutinho, i probably play at 7. For Aston Villa, I would play ahead of United players. I just don't I, I do not trust Man United players whatsoever. That's just my thought process. Oh, you know what? I did forget one guy in the midfield. Mason Mount at eight for Chelsea. And Dejan Kulusevski for Tottenham. Yes, they're expensive, but they are... Very good for what they're going to be able to do for you during the season. If you want to make a differential and you're not playing soccer, I would consider one of those two players uh, at eight. It gets you different 
They're not going to be putting up uh, solid numbers. But I don't think it's going to be that much of a drop-off points per wise because you're going to have balance in the forward spot to be able to afford three decent strikers as opposed to just being able to afford two and then punt. So, again, it depends on how you want to build out your your squad, but I do think uh, not going too crazy in terms of uh, of uh, the build is uh, is a good idea. Now, from a forward standpoint, it, here's something else to kind of keep in mind. Alexander Mitrovich, the biggest head case in forwards for quite some time since Mario Balotelli in the Premier League. Mitrovich will start fights. <laughs> like, there's no if fans are buts about it. He's going to get red carded this year. Guaranteed he's going to get red carded at least probably two, at least two games this year where he just gets tossed out of games. It's going to happen at least twice. It's 38 game season. He's going to get red card at least twice. I, I can pretty much bank on that. At least twice. But he's 6.5. And because of the prolific goal scoring uh, route he was on, it's just, you know, for Newcastle, they're going to need goals. I mean, not... Uh, they're 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 gonna need goals. I mean, not not for Newcastle for Fulham. He used to play for Newcastle. That was another mess. But for Fulham, they're gonna need goals. Mitrovic can provide them. He can also provide a lot of cards. But I would say that's someone you can at least keep in mind. Next up, we got Ivan Tony for Brentford at seven. It's a pretty standard pick. What? Probably the route I would go for most people. Plug and play. He's going to be there pretty much all year. He was very consistent. I would expect the same. Brentford doesn't really have that many other options at forward. So the the flow of traffic is going to go through him. To me, that's the way to kind of play it um, from a budget standpoint. Ollie Watkins for Aston Villa. More mouths to feed because of Coutinho and Buendia. But Watkins at 7-5, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Gabriel Jesus, I think, is the best budget option of the forwards, in my opinion, for fantasy this year. His ownership is going to be the most selected because he got transferred from Man City to Arsenal. He's going to be the number nine for Arsenal. They're going to feed him the ball. Do I think he... Gets Arsenal top four? No. Do I think he's going to be a useful value for fantasy because he's underpriced for what the position he's going to be playing for Arsenal? Hell yes. There's a reason why his ownership is going to be that high. He should be priced closer to 10, 10, 5. When he was priced at this, the expectation was he was going to be a rotation at Man City. Because he went to Arsenal, situated to completely flip. So from a usage standpoint, you got you're getting a guy who should be probably priced around ten for eight. To me, that's a free square. You can try to get different about it, but I, I think that's just being too cute. There are other ways of getting different with your fantasy roster. 
Uh, there's just too much volume and activity going on with Jesus for me to justify fading him. So, to me, that's the way to go. And then at the top of the scale, you got Harry Kane at 11.5. I've already talked about Erling Holland for Man City. Holland is going to be the presumptive Golden Boot favorite. For the Premier League, at like plus two seventy five, I think his last the last set of odds for him were. He's the presumptive favorite. He's the people people are going to gravitate towards and play with Kevin De Bruyne. I think you can get Harry Kane at somewhat lower ownership than usual because people are still going to try to pay for Salah. They're going to still try to pay for Holland. I think it's going to lower Harry Kane's ownership than usual. And at 11.5, not the craziest thing in the world. Now, again, I, I talk about this because I hate United. Cristiano Ronaldo at 10.5, yes, he had a better than expected year. Terrible play this year. He wanted to leave United. He didn't get his wish. He's stuck there for the time being. Yes. Is his ego going to force him to play through it? Yeah. But do I think see him going all out the way he did to start the year? Hell no. He's going to do just enough to stay relevant. But I do not see Cristiano Ronaldo coming close to the production who's putting up last year. I would much rather take Jamie Vardy on a worse Leicester City squad than United at 9-5. It's just the bottom line. I would rather take Vardy uh, than uh, CR7. And it's not to say that CR7 can't score goals. It's just that what's the motivation at this point? You know, great player, but it's like, what's the true motivation? Because realistically, he can he can try to like fire himself up, but, you know, at the end of the day... You're not competing for a championship at United. You don't like your teammates. You know, yeah, you can score, but it's like, you know, at like to keep driving to uh, be in the running for Golden Boot, you, you need more than just, yeah, I, I want to score. Like, you actually have to have some motivation. I just don't necessarily see it happening. So... To me, I, that's why I think, again, along with most of the United players, I think they are just terrible plays in general. Ronaldo is less bad than some of the others, but I still think it's suboptimal way of building your lineups. So, that does it for my recap of Fantasy Premier League. Made it in uh, under an hour covering all the spots, but yeah, you know, there are a lot of ways to kind of get different. So again, I would suggest folks to play around with it. It's fun to build out your roster. Like it's fantasy. Like don't go too crazy with it. I just think it gives you a unique way of doing a fantasy sport. That's different than the contemporary parts that you're used to seeing with drafting in American sports. So, Like I said, 
to each their own, but I think it's a unique opportunity. So have fun with it. Best of luck to everyone. And you will get my season preview coming up later this week as I break down the table and where I think folks are going to line up and what potential bets you can kind of look at overall for uh, these teams and my season-long prediction. So best of luck uh, to all of you. Have a, uh, uh, have a good day, and until next time, be good. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all other major outlets. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.